Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. Uh, every once in a while, uh, people will ask me who has had the most influence on me theologically in terms of how I read the Bible. And I think sometimes they're expecting for me to say John Calvin or Augustine or Carl Henry or, or some other people who have had significant influences on my life. But as I think about it, uh, my answer is always Michael Card, the musician, songwriter, uh, also a, a very capable theologian. And the reason for that is because when I was a teenager, I remember being in a Christian bookstore, and uh, the, the people that, that worked there knew that I liked Amy Grant. They knew that I liked Petra, <laughs> which was a, a kind of a, a more hard-rocking sort of Christian group at the time. So somebody who was there said to me, you really ought to check out this album. And he said, the liner notes are just as good as the album itself and gave me a copy of tapes. There were tapes in those days of uh, a uh, two-volume album called The Life that went through the life of Jesus. And so from that point on, I listened to everything that Michael Card put out, both prior to that and after that. And as I think about it, I really think shaped and formed the way that I read the Bible, sometimes in ways that I can see and recognize and in other ways that I probably can't uh, see or recognize. And so I wanted Michael Card to be with us today to talk about an issue that we were talking beforehand, and he said, I really don't know what we're going to talk about on this. I'm not really uh, prepared to talk about this today, but I think he actually is. And here's why. When I think about fatherhood uh, issues and fatherhood of God uh, issues, there are actually two Michael Card songs that have completely ruined everything for me. And I'll I'll tell you uh, what they are. If you're not familiar with these songs, look them up. Uh, The one is a song called Greatest Miracle, in which uh, he talks about the man who came to uh, Jesus when his son is uh, at the point of death. And uh, the lyrics uh, talk about Jesus speaking, your son will live now, just leave and go home. Uh, And the man stops seeking signs from that very day on. And the the language of the man heard with his heart uh, what it is that Jesus was saying. That That song was really important to us 
uh, when my wife and I were praying over uh, our oldest son that we were told uh, had an illness that he wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. And we were in the adoption process, and they said, you can't adopt him because he's, he's terminally ill. Mm-hmm. And we spent a night praying and praying through that text in the Gospel of John, and he turned out to be fine. And so that that song, I always, it has an emotional weight that other things uh, don't. And the other is a song called Underneath the Door that is the only song uh, that Michael Card sings and, and has written that is really kind of painful for me to listen to because the song is about a father who's a doctor who's really weighted down with the pressure of, of being a doctor and about uh, the son who will come and, and slip drawings underneath the door to his dad. That song has had such an influence on me as a father that my wife will sometimes laugh because if they're home, my wife and kids are home and I'm trying to work in my study, I can't even do it because I, I keep coming out and uh, Brielle say, why are you doing this? I said, because I don't want to be underneath the door. I'm trying not to be underneath the door. I got you. Uh, so it's kind of, kind of ruined my work, uh, my work habits at home. So I really wanted uh, Mike to be with us today uh, around Father's Day. You may be listening to this around Father's Day. You may be listening to it later on. It doesn't matter. Uh, the issue of fatherhood is really, really significant in the way that we see and understand God and in the way that we see and understand our own lives, not just those of us who are fathers, but everyone who has a father, which is everyone, even if you don't know who that is, if it's mm-hmm. an absent place, that still has a, a big influence on your life. So, Mike, we talk about uh, fatherhood of God and you think about Father's Day. Mm-hmm. When someone stands up on on Father's Day or at any other time and says, God is our Father, our Father who art in heaven, there are all sorts of ways that that can be interpreted by mm-hmm. people in ways that are both accurate and inaccurate, don't you think? Yeah, well, it, it makes me think that one of the biggest things that God has working against him is the tendency of people to understand him in terms of their earthly father. Hmm. Right, a lot of the chips that we have on our shoulder about God are really chips that we have on our shoulder about our our earthly father who who may have been too busy for us, and we kind of assume God is that way, or perhaps he got angry, and we assume that God is that way, and if we read scripture, he's not that way, you know he's incredibly kind, he's incredibly loving, he loves us more uh he loves us so much he'd rather die than live without us. I mean he's unlike any earthly father we've ever had. Seems to me, but there are, there are ways, of course, where it seems that Jesus is teaching that almost everybody does have a place of overlap. So even yeah. those of you who are evil uh, would not give to your 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 child a stone when he asks for bread. Yeah, I think when I think of the fatherhood of God, I think of the baptism of Jesus, where God, who is the perfect Father, says basically everything a child needs to hear from their father: mm. "I love you." And I'm well pleased mm-hmm. with you. So that's Jesus starts his ministry hearing that from his father. I mean that that occurs to me as that's one of the moments where you see this perfect fatherhood of God. And of course, Jesus loved to refer to him as as uh, as as his father. Next to uh, he's the one who sent me. That's the one, yeah. especially in John. That's yeah. kind of his his circumlocution for God is the one who sent me, the one who sent me, the one who sent me. I'm the, the sent one. But I think uh, other than that. 
clearly he sees him as his father and and is as proud to say now he's your father mm. you know because what I'm making possible he's going to be your father it's funny that you bring up the baptism of Jesus because uh, someone was mentioning to me how often uh, I keep referring back to that text the baptism of mm. Jesus which is kind of almost subconscious I don't mm-hmm. realize and I said I actually think if you told me you can only have one passage in the whole Bible hmm. to explain to people what this whole thing is about. I would probably pick the baptism of Jesus hmm. because you have uh, everything sort of packed in there. Yeah. Uh, you have you have atonement uh, identifying with us in, yeah. in baptism. Humility. Humility, yeah. uh, fatherhood of God, the presence of the Spirit. All of those things are are there. Uh, right after that, you have leaving out to temptation with the devil. And, and that temptation is challenging Jesus' identity as son. Yeah. If you're the son of God, do this. If you're the son of God, do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I teach that those aren't two stories. That's really the baptism and the temptation are one story. You don't fully understand either one unless you understand them together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you think about the ways that people uh, will come in and interpret that language of fatherhood, I know someone who said that he didn't even realize he he knows the Bible really really well, mm-hmm. and he still will find himself he can identify very easily with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when he thinks about God the Father, he still has this idea that's kind of deeper than rationality that I have to please Him, mm-hmm. I have to perform for Him, and what he said was that he sort of feels like when he's coming in prayer the way he would when he would go home to his dad with his report card. Right. And that right. feeling of just what's the reaction going to be. And this is somebody who knows the Bible really, really well. Well, that's what I was talking about before. That's kind of one of the things God has working against him. I've got my own story like that. I came home with a straight-A report card. I didn't often get them, but I had a straight-A report card. Of course, all my friends had already dropped out of school to go do music. And I gave it to my dad, and I expecting, you know, you know, bells and whistles. And he said, he hands it back to me and says, if you can make straight A's, you can make straight A pluses. Oh. And, and I'm sure that has been, you know, integrated into the way I think about God. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. and I know better. But, uh, and, and that's why Jesus is so important, because Jesus, of course, Jesus redefines everything. Yeah. But he helps us see the Father. This is, you know, this is who the Father is. And uh, he's the one who loves you so much; he wants to be married to you. Yeah, I, I love that whole that whole theme of Jesus re- redefines everything. Home, and we're just about we're selling our house and we're moving. And I had this long discussion with someone about what home means, mm-hmm. and it comes back to well, no, Jesus has redefined that for me, so I understand that through Him. And I, I think the same goes for the Father. Mm-hmm. Well, when you talk about in uh, underneath the door. Uh, one of the things that that struck me about that song, I almost wish we could play it right now. We used <laughs> to do that before, but then copyright things came into play. But but I, I would yeah, encourage. I you can't would, play my own songs on my own radio. You can't. But, yeah. So. Oh yeah. wow. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Well, I encourage you all to look it up on iTunes and uh, or YouTube or somewhere and, and play it. But one of the things that strikes me about that song is that uh, you you come back to that same theme of sort of drawing these these pictures or, or notes or things and putting them underneath the door to say, this is this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that that is, as we mentioned before, one of really the most difficult things that people have to undo when they think about fatherhood, not just the people who had sort of 
really bad, abusive, angry uh, sorts of situations. But the people who feel as though they have to earn love, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is really undone by the the picture of fatherhood that that we mentioned earlier, which is not just I love you, I'm for you, but this sense of just sheer delight. Mm. And I think one of the things is probably mm. difficult for uh, people who are fathers or people who are spiritual fathers is how do you make sure that you communicate that? And I, I think about all the time you talk a lot, uh, not just about your your dad, but also about someone who really sort of fathered you spiritually, uh, William Lane. Mm-hmm. And so how do you communicate that, do you think, as a father or someone who has sort of fathering responsibilities over over people? Yeah, I'm glad you brought Bill up because, again, I had a great father. My dad mm-hmm. was a great man. He was a doctor. He was a wonderful doctor, and, uh, you know, we reconciled. And and uh, I'm glad you brought William Lane up because if you grew up like I grew up and like a lot of people grew up, you're always kind of looking for a father. Mm-hmm. And Bill was that person that God gave me. And I think the most important thing I learned about fatherhood from uh, Dr. Lane, and of course, he, he some of his children would complain about him that he was too busy being refreshed. You know, so no, mm-hmm. there are no perfect fathers. Yeah. But Bill's the big quote I repeat all the time from Bill is the best way to show someone you love them is to listen to them. I mean, it comes right out of the Shema, which we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and that's how Bill showed me how much he loved me when I was a student. You know, walking with him, I wasted you know, endless amounts of his time talking about girls and I'm struggling with this. And he would listen and um, and waiting for the opportunity to give, you know, give the advice or give the affirmation or whatever it was I needed or the rebuke. Yeah, that that's what I learned about being uh, about being a father from Dr. Lane. The best way to show someone you love them is to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Hear, O Israel, listen, Israel. The Lord is God, uh, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God. So in the Shema, it's listening and loving, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, and Bill lived that out, and he incarnated it the way that we learned that from Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't learn anything until we see it lived out. Mm-hmm. You can read it in, in as many books as you want to read. You don't learn it until you see somebody do it, and you go. Ah, okay. Now, now I get it. That's why God doesn't drop a book from the sky. We don't need a book. We need incarnation. And that's uh, that that showed up even in uh, Doctor Lane's death. I remember mm-hmm. you, you wrote a little book called The Walk mm-hmm. and talked about how he said to you, "Now I'm going to show you how a Christian man dies." Yeah, I want to show you how a Christian man dies. Yeah, and he did. He did. Huh. He was laughing just before he died. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's easy for us sometimes to to remind ourselves, at least, that when we're talking about fatherhood of God, that we're dealing with everything mm-hmm. potentially out there. You have people who idolize their fathers and mm-hmm. want to, you know, become just like them. Then you have the people who the the exact opposite. They want to spend their whole life proving I'm not my dad. Yeah, uh, and then everything else along with it. Sometimes I think what we don't really pay attention to, though, are the people who are maybe in our congregations or out there in our communities who are in fact fathers and who are completely weighted down with a sense of guilt mm. uh, and shame at their inadequacies mm-hmm. or even their awfulness mm-hmm. um, at being uh, fathers. Mm-hmm. I remember I was speaking one time and uh, I was talking about adoption and orphan care and this man came down the aisle and just was totally broken. I'm not worthy to be a father. Yeah, well, he said he had abandoned his 
wife or girlfriend or, or whatever she mm. was and their children mm. 30 years before. Mm. And he was just bearing this sort of uh, constant weight. That's kind of an extreme uh, situation, but there are a lot of people who are, are sort of sitting out there thinking, you know, I just was not a good father. How, mm. how ought we to speak to to dads about this in light of the fatherhood of God without without giving the impression that, well, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Kids are going to turn out the way they're going to turn out. But uh, I think anybody who really has a recognition of his own deficiencies mm-hmm. will have a sense of, wow, that's... You know, I should not have said that, or I should have been there, or I yeah. shouldn't have. You know what? Uh, how, how should we? How should we speak to that? Do you think? Well, I, I'll, I'll risk it here and quote Brendan Manning. <laughs> Brendan said uh, he was praying and, and confessing his sin, and he was he was one of the professional. He was one of the big professional sinners in our in our uh, in our world. And he said what he he felt like he heard God say is, "Really, Brendan, I expected more failure from you than you expected from yourself," hmm. and. All that is to say, yeah, we've messed up. Yeah, we've met. I mean, I I tried so hard not to be the kind of father my father was that I found completely new ways to mess up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so there, you know, no no perfect children, no perfect fathers. So, um, I mean, the whole point of the gospel is, you know, you can begin again. So, so the guy who comes down the aisle who who would like to adopt but doesn't feel worthy. Well, so who who is worthy? You know, mm-hmm. you know um, so the gospel tells us we can begin again. Today you can begin again. You're 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 loved all over. Uh, God's love begins all over. It's fresh. His hesed is new every morning. The Bible says, and the devil would love to have you uh, taken out of the game by constantly telling yourself how unworthy you are. Um, mm-hmm. If you can't make you do wrong, he'll make you do right wrong. So he'll make you repent in a way that's completely. Uh, renders you completely ineffective, Ooh. right? Yeah. Yeah, so I say to the fathers that are struggling, because I'm struggling right there with you. I mean, I look in the mirror, and and I see failure as mm-hmm. a father. Mm-hmm. I'm a failure as a father. And then I realize, well, I, sh- I should call him today, or I can mm. I can do this today, or maybe this would help, or I don't know. Uh, and again, it's not about me doing, doing it better or doing it right, but um, I, I do, because of the forgiveness of Jesus, I have hope that I can still be on his team and love the way he loves, mm. in infinitesimally small, mm. smaller version. You know, there's a, a Christian cliche uh, out there, God has no grandchildren. Mm. And the meaning of that is is yeah, true, sure. which is that everyone everyone comes to, to God uh, through new birth one by one, and you can't rely on your family heritage or, or those sorts of things. So I agree with that on the one hand. On the other hand, I look back— hmm. And one of the things that's really becoming apparent to me kind of in middle age that was never apparent to me before is how influential my grandfather was. And I think a lot of people would assume, well, you're talking about I had a grandfather who was a pastor mm-hmm. who died when I was really uh, very young. There was a, that my other grand, my maternal grandfather, though, was somebody I always took for granted because he was mm-hmm. no drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is exactly what the life-giving uh, presence that he had in my life was all about. He was this source of stability, mm. of no drama, of just he wasn't ever ruffled uh, mm-hmm. by anything. And I'm thinking about just how important he was. Mm. And I think there are a lot of people who have that sort of experience. I mean, I was talking to a pastor 
who they were trying to evangelize women in strip clubs mm-hmm. uh, near their, their church, and they found out they couldn't send women the same age as the women who worked in the strip club because it was bad reaction. You're yeah. judging me. Or, right. And they couldn't send women their mother's age mm-hmm. because many of them had really bad uh, experiences with their mothers, and they just sort of. <laughs> but you could send women their grandmother's age. Ah, and interesting. And they connect because almost all of them had a grandmother somewhere that they just had a different sort of wow. relationship with. Wow, you That's wrote cool. a song called. We we were actually talking about it this morning called for FFB mm-hmm. that is always striking to me, not just because of the lyrics of the song, but because in the song you include little clips of his preaching mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning and at the end that are they're really powerful, even though they're probably less than a minute each. But you didn't really know him very much, but no. he had a he had a big influence on your life. Yeah, he my grandfather Brown had a huge impact on me. And it's probably mostly legendary because I just grew up hearing stories about him from is my mom's dad. And so her sisters, whenever we got together, they they were just constantly talking about him. And um and yeah, uh, my grandfather Brown had a huge effect on me. Uh, I wrote a, a song. Um, I've written three or four songs about him, and one of them, uh, yeah, I first saw the light of Christ through you. Mm-hmm. It was through his life that I really saw. Okay, that's that's how you. That's what being a Christian looks like. Because mm-hmm. he's very loving, and and at the same time, very, very uh, fragile. He had a nervous breakdown. He, you know, he. Uh, he messed up a lot, but even uh, when he failed, is it became redemptive somehow. So he was just—he was a great character, I, and he's the one of the people, one of the first people I want to look for in heaven. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. Grandfather Brown. Hmm. I think there's probably something to the power that grandfathers can have because they're not trying so hard. I, I suppose you've kind of already. Well, you're not under the same scrutiny as a, as a father is. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've just become a grandfather. Let me tell you, it's a cool thing. You waltz <laughs> into the house. You don't have to do anything but just love them and be there. So, yeah, yeah I see what you're saying. Well, and I think you've already seen enough to know. Uh, I, I think when you're a, when you're a, you have small children, you're a father. There's a sense of everything is dependent upon me yeah. and these children are kind of an extension of right. me. And well, your grandfather, I think you've lived no long pressure. enough to right. know. <laughs> you know, human nature is what human nature yeah. is. And there are all sorts of things that not going to panic about. Yeah. I've seen that before. And they just kind of automatically love you because you're their grandfather. That's a beautiful thing. Mm. You know, Gramps, oh, they run to you and here's my picture. Here's whatever. Here's my new doll. And uh, yeah, you don't have to do, of course, you love it back. And, I, you know, I'm trying to model Bill Lane and listen listen to him as much as I can. But I have two little granddaughters. And uh, it yeah, it is a beautiful thing. And I like your challenge in the old cliche about God has no grandchildren. I mm. think that's a that's a cool idea. Maybe we should find a way on Father's Days to say there is a sense in which God does have grandchildren. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Well thanks so much, Mike Carr, for being with me thanks, uh, today. Always good to talk to you. And I just challenge all of you uh here to think through around Father's Day the way that Ephesians 3 teaches us God the Father from whom every fatherhood in heaven and earth is named. How has God blessed you with examples of maybe your earthly father, maybe someone who was a spiritual father to you, who pointed the way kind of as a signpost to the fatherhood of God? And then what are the ways that in this world of sin and brokenness and fall, have your attitudes toward God been shaped in ways that are less than the cry of Abba, Father. 
And maybe this would be a time to come to God through Jesus Christ to say, would you be present in a way that can heal that? This is Russell Moore, son of a good father, and you're listening to Signposts. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.